Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So I, I was raised in the Russian Orthodox Church and I remember as a little tacker, mum giving me 10 cent coin or a 20 cent coin. And when the offering came around um, in those days, there, there were no pews. There were seating around the perimeter for the very elderly people and everyone else stood for up to three hours. Don't, yeah, let's never complain about anything, I can tell you. <laughs> for three hours. And I won't tell you how we used to get out of mum and dad's view and then nick off to McDonald's for two and a half of those hours and then come back. <laughs> but that's another story. Mum used to give me, and I was so small, as the adults passed the big silver plate around, um, I had to do that. And so there was a clink. And all I ever heard was clink, 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 people putting coins on the thing. I thought that's what you did. And so when I got saved in a wonderful Pentecostal church in the eastern suburbs, um, came around to the offering, they passed those um, uh, wooden handled velvet, red velvet bags. How many have known, seen those? Yeah, yeah. They're really the anointed King James version of the offering. <laughs> and uh, people were pulling out wads. I thought I was generous putting in a $2 note. Back in, the dollars, back in the days when the $2 was a note, it was paper. You remember, how many remember that? Okay, come on, I'm, I'm, I feel you with me today. Um, and if I ever need you to be with me, today's the day. Uh, so I used to put that in, and, but people would put in wads of notes. I'm thinking, flip. That's an awful lot of money. So I did what everybody who's young in the Lord, I was a baby Christian, months old. So I went to my life group leader. I said, when we take up the offering, I put in $2, which is like 10 times more than what I used to in the Orthodox Church. And these people putting in like $20, Like this is back in the end of 79, early 80s. There's a lot of money back then. So he says, well, that's because they're tithing. I said, What's that? Because I'd never heard about it. So he explained to me the principle of the tithing, which is paying the Lord 10% of our income. And so I began then. And the rest was easy. So if you're not sure about what to do at the end of this message, actually, no, you will be sure. <laughs> Forget the second part of that. You, you'll be sure. But what is tithing? What's it for? Is it in the New Testament? Is it for the church today? These are some of the questions we asked in our panel last week. Is it a command? What if I'm a Christian and I haven't been tithing? Well, these are all questions I'd like to address today. And I want to begin with the purpose of the tithe. So in order to talk about tithing, I want to tell a story it's not a made-up story, it's not a fable, it's not a personal experience story, it's the story of the Bible. It's the, story, the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is about God's redemptive plan in human history. That's the story. Tithing is not about money, it's about worshipping God, it's about our identity as the people of God on mission with Him. Because we are part of His story trying to redeem a humanity that is lost. That's the context that I want us to understand things in. 
So let's begin at the very beginning. Chapter 3 in Genesis, we won't go there, but in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. They were evicted from the Garden of Eden and their relationship was broken. So God began his plan of redemption in human history because of that one moment. Because God created people, his children, to have relationship with him and that relationship was destroyed. So he began, yeah, it was really destroyed. Really, and it was noisier than that. If the angels in heaven rejoice and one person gets saved, you can imagine what happened in, in heaven when this relationship was destroyed. There would have been mourning and grief unspeakable in the heart of God. So God set out to redeem a humanity back to himself. And that began with the call of Abraham. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Only in Abraham can all the families of the earth be blessed. Now in light of Christ coming and the gospel arriving and Jesus teaching, the apostle Paul says, know then that this is uh, those of faith, that those of the faith are the sons of Abraham. So we're Abraham's children because we believe in Jesus. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that is the peoples of the world, not his people, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, back in Genesis that we read, and saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So Abraham was called in order to get the word out, the gospel out to the world. And then God makes a nation out of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whom he named Israel. And now the nation of Israel are the custodians of the kingdom of God to reveal the world to the world the gospel of God. We know that as the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Jesus hadn't yet come. So then he made a covenant with Abraham to secure his relationship and he made him righteous because of his faith. Then when he delivered Israel out of Egypt, he makes a covenant with them at Mount Sinai because they're the children of Abraham. And it's through them that the world would be blessed by coming to know God. Their role was to reveal God to the world. And unfortunately, they didn't do a very good job of that. But God made a covenant with them and he gave them the laws and teachings in order to show them how to live, that they might be distinct from them, that they might come to know him. And so he established a house and a priesthood in order to enable the people to maintain their ritual purity and their separation from the world and keep the covenant with God to reveal him to the world. And so the establishment of God's house is crucial to God's plan of redemption. So now that he has a house, he needs to have people to work in the house. The house was initially the tabernacle. So he calls the tribe of Levi 
And when we talk about the Levitical priesthood, we have the book of Leviticus, the, the third book in the Old Testament that talks about what the Levites were supposed to do in the house of God. And he separates them. He consecrates them. He makes them holy. And he separates them from the other 11 tribes of Israel. And he calls them to serve in his house for the purpose of working for him to make sure that the people walk with God, they are taught the word, their sins are forgiven, they perform all the rituals for the forgiveness of sins, that they can walk in covenant with God. And he forbids the Levites, forbids them, from inheriting any portion of land when they entered into the promised land of Canaan. Because he wanted to dedicate them to serve in the house. So when they went into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, they divvied up the land to all the other 11 tribes, but not the tribe of Levi. They were given houses, but not land. So they worked the land. That was their business. That was their income. That's what God blessed. And so they, he set apart the, the, the tribe of Levi to dedicate themselves. And he forbade them from working the land, to even having land, having an inheritance in the land. And this is where the tithe was instituted. He commanded the other 11 tribes to pay one-tenth of the produce of their land, whether the fruit of the trees or the ground or the flocks or the herds or whatever God blessed them with, they would bring one-tenth of that into the house of the Lord to provide for the workers in the house because they weren't able to provide for themselves. And they were to work in the house to continue God's plan of redemption in the world. And we cannot separate tithing from the Levites, from the house of God, from the purposes of God of redeeming humanity for himself. Cannot separate them. That's why tithing is not about money. It's about God's redemptive plan on the earth, which much of the church has forgotten about. So... It's important to note that there were, throughout the Bible, there were four iterations of the house of God, or four uh, forms or uh, types of the house of God. There was the tabernacle that was instituted under the leadership of Moses. Then there was the temple that was built under Solomon's leadership. Then there were synagogues, which were local temples that began in people's houses while they were in captivity in Babylon. And we see in the New Testament, the temple in Jerusalem and synagogues. They were all iterations of the house of God. And then there was the church that Jesus instituted. And tithing was required by the people to support the workers in the house in every single case. So that the people would know what to do so that they could represent him in the world. And the church is the same. The church is the community of God's people on mission with him. We are the community of God's people on mission with him. We've been given the great commission. It tells us that. We have shepherds and overseers to watch over us. We have the fivefold ministry team. We have staff to equip us so that we can do the work of ministry. And so when the church doesn't tithe or when the Jews didn't tithe, when we don't tithe, we deny our own identity 
as the people of God. On mission with him. And church becomes like a supermarket. We come just because what we get out of it. Or we come and watch and it becomes a theatre. And we listen and we watch and then we go home. And church is neither of those. Church is a company of the holy people of God on mission with him. We are the body of Christ. And each one of us, every single one of us has a role and a responsibility. So tithing is one of those responsibilities. We tithe so that God can pay his workers to watch over his people, to equip them so they can do the ministry in the house and outside in the world. We've been given a ministry inside and outside. The ministry outside is called the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. That's the preaching of the gospel to the lost. That's God's plan of redemption in this world. That's why Abraham was called. That's why the Israel, Israel as a nation was established. That's why the church exists today. And today, the kingdom, uh, the custodianship of the kingdom has been taken from the Jews and given to the church. Jesus did that. We learn that in the Gospels. We are the custodians of the kingdom. We know that because we've got the keys of the kingdom. What do keys do? They open and lock, unlock doors. The keys of the kingdom is of the gospel. That's what the keys of the kingdom are. And we are the custodians of that. We all have responsibility to tithe, not some of us. We are all called to participate in community, not just come and go on Sundays. We're all called to evangelise the lost. All of us, whether we're called to be an evangelist or not, we're all called to reach out with the gospel. And we're all called to serve in some capacity because we are the body of Christ. Each one of us has a spiritual gift and that is to serve somehow in the house. We're all part of God's plan to reconcile the world to himself through the good news of Jesus. So what does the Old Testament say about tithing? How does it actually work? Well, during our panel last week, as I mentioned earlier, one of the questions that was asked, some people believe the tithing is not for today because it's Old Testament. It is Old Testament. It describes in the Old Testament what it's for, and we've explained that, but I'm going to look at some scriptures now so you don't just take my word. Um, I don't want you to just take my word. Be like a Berean, search the scriptures. So what does the Old Testament say? We're going to get to the New Testament because we're going to finish there because we need to know if it's in the New Testament. What does the Old Testament say? Because the Old Testament actually established it. In Leviticus 27, 30 to 33, and Leviticus was that book, part of the law given to describe the function of the Levites in the house of God to maintain the ritual purity and teach the people of God that they might reach the world for the Lord. In this passage, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herd of the flocks, every tenth of the animal, of all the pastors under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good and bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both of it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So they lived in an agrarian society. They grew crops, 
had trees with fruit and they had animals which multiplied. And so a tithe of that was one-tenth of everything, whether of the land or of the flocks. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Deuteronomy was a book that is a description of the second giving of the law. Deuteros nomos means second law, second giving of the law. Moses expanded and expounded the law just before they went into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 22-23, he says, you shall tithe, now he's saying when they go into the land, into the promised land, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he shall choose, which was Jerusalem, to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and, and uh, of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord God always. So what do we learn from these scriptures? So in summary form, the people pay the tithe to the Lord. Remember last week in the panel when Pastor Stacy asked the question, well, what if... Some, some churches, and as Pastor Corey mentioned, very few, if the, those in charge of the, the tithes weren't steward, stewarding it very well, you know, and people withhold their tithe. Well, we can't withhold the tithe if someone's stewing it unfairly or wrongly or selfishly or indiscriminately because we're not giving it to the church. We pay the, we pay the Lord. And we've discharged our duty. And if someone's mucking around with God's money, let him deal with them. So that's not our business. Our business is just to give to the Lord the tithe. The second thing we got here, the tithe belongs to the Lord. The tithe belongs to the Lord. So if it's for the Jews, for the Hebrews, for Christians, if we're to tithe, we need to understand that the tithe is not ours to keep. That's why later on in Malachi, they were robbing God when they weren't giving him his tithe. The first 10% belongs to the Lord. The tithe is holy, the scripture says. What does it mean to be holy? Everything that had to do with the worship of Yahweh was holy. And only if it had something to do with the worship of Yahweh. Because God was holy. The tabernacle, the place of worship, was holy. The Levites set apart to facilitate worship were holy. All the articles of furniture and the oil in the, in the tabernacle were holy. The garments the priests wore were holy. The tithe was holy. Because God is holy and God used it for a holy function. And thirdly, we learn in the Deuteronomy passage, which we read that you may learn to fear the Lord. This is language of worship. To fear the Lord is to worship him. The references to fearing idols. Do you fear idols or do you fear the Lord? It means, do you worship idols or do you worship the Lord? Because they went astray many times, the, the Hebrews, and they feared idols, they worshipped idols. But this is language of worship. When we bring our tithe to the Lord, we worship him. We had a wonderful time of worship in song and praise. That is worship. And it was honouring to God and glorifying to God and the presence of God was here. But you know what? Tithing is worship too. And if we do that, but we don't tithe, we're sort of 
deciding how we worship God ourselves when the Lord has taught us how to worship Him. So then, so we begin with understanding the tithe is given to the Lord. Secondly, we learn that the tithe was used by the Lord to give to the Levites. So we give to the Lord, the Lord gives it to the Levites as an inheritance and a reward for their work. In Numbers chapter 18, we read these verses. And the Lord said to Aaron, who was the high priest, the the leader of the tribe of Levi at the time, you shall have no inheritance in the land. So they got no, no inheritance in the land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. You don't even get a bit of land. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear the sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In other words, the Hebrews were to always tithe. And among the people of Israel that shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution of it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So the Levites tithe themselves to the priests, which is the family of Aaron. And you may enter in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. This word contribution, the tithe was a contribution. The word, the Hebrew word is teruma. The word teruma means to lift up. This is what the tithe meant. When I bring the tithe. I worship you. I acknowledge, Father, you own everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything I have, you have provided. Everything I have, you've blessed. And I worship you. Now they can't lift all their cattle, can they? Can't lift all their sheep, can't lift all their crops. But that's what they did. That's what it means. You give to the Lord what is His, whether it's money, whether it's cattle, whether it's produce, whatever your income is, that's what it is. When they gave back to the Lord that which was His, they acknowledged who He was, that He owned everything. And remember last week when Pastor Corey talked about Jesus requires all of His disciples to renounce their possession? Renounce means full separation. The word is used of someone when they leave other people in a house and they say goodbye and they leave. That's what this word renounce means. You leave it behind. If we've left all of our finances behind and it belongs to the Lord, giving him one-tenth that belongs to him anyway is nothing, is it? That's just an act of worship. And so what does the New Testament say about tithing? 
because I know you've been hanging out for this. And because very few uh, pastors delve in to this passage very much or this aspect of tithing teaching, we don't, there's not a lot of literature there, but we're going to look at the scriptures. So we need to understand the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. The Old Testament points into the New Testament. And how we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament is we pass it through the event of Jesus coming, his death, burial and resurrection, through the cross. And so some laws no longer continue. The rituals, the sacrifices, the killing of animals for sins, because Jesus died once and for all, there's no more requirement that any animal be killed or any person be killed for the forgiveness of our sins. Once and for all, all done. So that's clear in the New Testament in light of what Jesus did. Well, what about other laws like adultery? Well, in the New Testament, it says you can't do that now either. But Jesus said you can't even think it in your heart. What about murder? Law says thou shalt not murder. What does the New Testament say? Well, you can't do that as Christians either. But you can't hate your brother in your heart because then you're a murderer in your heart. So some laws are abolished. Some are intensified. Uh, What about the Sabbath? Well, the principle of the rest is really important. But the gathering of the Saturday, the Sabbath, the last day of the week, Paul says neither here nor there. And the early church gathered on the Sunday, not the Saturday. So what about tithing? We need to see whether the tithing. Now, you understand, Jesus and Paul, the early church, all the apostles, they were Hebrews. They were Jews. They all understood tithing. They all understood that the only way the servants in the house of God could function was through the tithes of the people. That was their entire world view. So in Luke 10, verse 7, As Jesus began, before he established the church, before he sent them out, as he sent them out, remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide in the cities you go to, the labourer deserves his wages. The labourer deserves his wages is a phrase that comes out of the law. The labourer deserves his wages. And then Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 1 to 3 and verse 23, Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples... Are we his disciples? So this is for us then, isn't it? The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, which is in the synagogue. So Jesus talked about those in the synagogue now. This is the third iteration of the house of God, the tabernacle, the temple. Uh, Before the church was instituted, there was a synagogue. Moses' seat was the, the synagogue equivalent of a chair at the front, like our pulpit, like our lectern, where the scribes and the Pharisees taught Moses teaching, which was the law, which is the word of God, which was the, the, our Old Testament, which the Hebrews called the Tanakh. So do and observe whatever they tell you. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Whatever the scribes and the Pharisees teach you to do from the law, do and practice it. Just don't do what they do because they were hypocrites for they don't practice what they preach. And in verse 23, it says, to the, the, you owe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill and cumin, herbs and spices, the minutia of their harvest. And you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. In other words, it said you should continue to tithe, but not neglect justice, mercy and faithfulness. So he's talking about tithing in the synagogue. 
So in the synagogue, he says, continue tithing. And this is for the disciples also in the house of God. So Jesus and the apostles all understood the tithe. The law taught the workers deserved to be paid uh, with their wages. Jesus taught his disciples that what the law taught, including tithing, except those things that no longer continue, like the rituals and sacrifices, they too were to continue to do. And when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about tithing, he was talking about something that he wanted his disciples to pay attention to as well, because they were there. So what does Paul say about tithing? And this is probably the clearest New Testament passage teaching for the church on tithing, 1 Corinthians 9, 3 to 14. Paul writes, this is my defence to those who would examine me. He had some opponents in the uh, church in Corinth. They had some screwed up ideas about Paul and his apostleship. Paul was only concerned about the gospel, but he was concerned that if they rejected his apostleship, they would be rejecting his gospel. They'd be rejecting Jesus and what Jesus taught. So he didn't acknowledge, he didn't take on the right that he could have had. And his passage, his teaching here is about the right not to receive from the tithes, even though the church should be tithing because that's how it works. So do we not have the right to eat or drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Where do we get the idea in the Hebrew culture about workers in the house refraining from a living? The Levites were to refrain from working for a living so that they could work in the house. They were not permitted to work for a living because they were to work in the house. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense, Paul asks. The answer is no one. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? He says no one. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? The answer is no one. Do I say these things on human authority or from human examples? Does not the law say the same thing? So now again, even though we are not under the law for salvation or in our relationship with God, we learn from the law. And there are certain laws that we still are to obey. So he says, does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox that treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman would plough in hope that the thresher and the thresher should thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, teaching, pastoral care, ministry, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you do we not even more nevertheless we have not made use of this right but we endure everything anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ you do not know or do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings well who served in the temple the Levites and the priests How did they get their food from the temple? From the tithes of the people that they were commanded to bring. Paul is saying this is for the church too. And then he says in verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded. 
And you know, in the, in, the, in the Gospels, when the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go in the world, the world make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. This is one of the commands of how the church should function. That those who proclaim the gospel should eat, should get their living by the gospel. This is crystal clear. The Paul is teaching as the church is now established that those who work in the house of God live in the same way, off the same means that the Levites and the priests did in the temple. And that's from the tithes. And so if he had a right to this claim, though he didn't take it because of some of the issues they had, if he had a right for that claim to live off the tithes, means they had a responsibility to tithe. Because there are always rights and responsibility. No one has a right unless someone else has a responsibility. In the same way, as the priests and Levites in the temple were paid through the tithes, the Lord commanded that the workers of the church be paid the same way. The most recent census, as Pastor Corey alluded to last week, revealed a notable decline in Christianity. What are the factors that might have contributed to that decline, do you think? Well, what surveys have shown us for some time now is that two things Christians do the least are tithing and evangelism. Just through surveys of churches in the West. And these two are inextricably connected to the purposes of God in the world to redeem humanity back to himself through the work of the house of God. Tithing is about being part of the people of God. Ownership and participation in what the church is about. That's what we call covenant family. We're not a supermarket. We're not a theatre. We're a covenant family. We're the people of God on mission with him. And we have rights and responsibilities. I don't have the right because of my call here to go out and get a job. So I have to live off tithes. That's just me. All the staff do. And we can do that well when everybody tithes. And because God has given us a vision to plant 200 churches, there are finances there that are required for the fulfilment of the vision that God had for the world when he called Abraham. This is just part of our our part of the vineyard that we're responsible for. Well, you might be thinking, well, what if I haven't been tithing? Well, I want to read to you out of Malachi 3, a word that is not given to us. This is not a word to us, but I want to read it so we understand what God thought of a people who had been taught tithing for about 1,000 years and they stopped tithing. From the days of our fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Malachi said, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says through Malachi, in your tithes and contributions, contributions is that terumah, You've robbed me by not paying the tithes. And you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That is the storehouse in the tabernacle where the food was kept for the priests and Levites. That there may be food in my house for the workers. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Until the people of God have no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you, 
so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and your vine in the field uh, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So when they were not tithing, they were robbing God. Why? Because the tithe belongs to him. So if, if I take something that belongs to you, I've robbed you. Or if you lend me something and I don't give it back, I've robbed you. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Our first 10% belongs to the Lord, the scriptures teach. But they had known this for 1,000 years. For a lot of us, maybe this is just new. So this is not a word for us, but I read this so that we can understand that God, God's heart is invested in his house. Why? Because he wants the house to equip the work of the people of God that they might reach the world through the gospel of God. And bring back to him those people who are lost. <clears throat> As Pastor Dave said in our panel last, last week, there's no shame in condemnation. If we haven't been tithing, now's the time to begin. But there's no shame in condemnation because God doesn't use those tools. The devil does. But there might be conviction. So if we haven't been tithing till now, we can begin now. And so when I was taught by my life group leader, I began then. For some of you, that might be a bit more of a challenge. I was single. It was easy to start. But tithing is about discipleship. It's not about money. We're called to love other people. We don't get an option not to love other people. We're called to tithe. We don't get an option not to tithe. We're called to serve. We all have spiritual gifts. We don't get an option not to serve. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to pray. We're called to evangelize. We don't get an option not to. We're called to forgive other people. Yeah. I remember there was a time years ago when my father had destroyed our family and my sister became an alcoholic as a result and died at the age of 35. I had to forgive my father. It took me two years to even know that I had to forgive him because of the torment that caused me. But I, get, I didn't have an option not to forgive him. I couldn't say, well, that's too hard for me. I can't do that. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I have to line my life up to everything the Scriptures teach. Forgiveness is one of those. Serving is one of those. Evangelizing, loving, and tithing is one of those as well. I want to finish with a remarkable story of a man named Keith Greenwood. You all know Dr. Alan Meyer. For many years, he pastored uh, Manevelin Christian Fellowship, which became Careforce Church, which is now Discovery Church. And one of the elders there was a Dutch immigrant by the name of Keith Greenwood, and he was a market gardener, humble man of God, a great man of God. He was just an elder in the church. When, in the early 80s, when Dr. Allen started preaching about tithing and the church began to take this on and tithe, Keith came to Allen and said, could you put me on staff just for just $300 a week even? This was like early 80s. My house is paid off just to pay the bills. I have in my heart to go to India. And Allen said, okay. So they put him on staff. He started going to India Thousands of churches have since been established. Bible colleges, orphanages. <clears throat> Last statistic I heard about 20 years ago that over 750,000 Hindus had come, come to Christ as a result. Now there'd be over a million. Why? Just because one church tithe and one man did something to reach the lost. We can do this, church. Christianity doesn't need to decline. We can do this, but we all need to own it. Yeah. Our tithe belongs to the Lord. And as we give it to him, we worship him 
and we honour him. He can pay the workers in the house. We can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We can plant more churches. We can reach more people. And what God started with Abraham, he can finish when Jesus comes back and we are part of that journey. Is that clear? Now, I know it's a challenge for some of us. We have budgets. We have bills. There's no shame or condemnation. It might take a bit of a process, but if you need help, ask someone. Ask someone. Ask someone who tithes. How do you do it? Let them pray with you. Let them encourage you. But we know the promises there, if we as a church all tithe, God would bless our church. So much so that we would never have any needs. And nothing could devour us. And the world around us would see that God has blessed us. It's if we as a church tithe. Would you let me pray with you? And whatever it is that you now are thinking or are feeling or are being challenged with, I know some of you may well have been tithing for many, many years, and so it's not new for you. For some of you, maybe you've never even tithed, maybe you've never even believed it was biblical. So now it's, it's pretty clear. And, and I tell you, I fear the Lord too much to tr- manipulate the text. I fear the Lord to manipulate the text. And I, that's why what I wrote in the book is simply an exposition of passages that describe all the relevant components to what we are on about, including tithing. That's why we couldn't give you or couldn't recommend to you other texts that they butcher the texts about tithing and they... They don't say what the texts actually say. But I fear the Lord. I have not wanted in any way to persuade you to do something that I think you should do. I've only wanted to teach you what the Word of God says. Because the the Lord promises blessing. But tithing's not transactional because worship's not transactional. We are already His children. We already have everything. So we give it to Him as worship so that the house of God can function so the people in the world could be found again through our work of preaching the Gospel in this world. Would you open your hearts? Would you stand with me? Would you open your hearts? Raise your hands. Posture yourself somehow to do your business with God. And and I I just want to pray for the Lord to help you to do whatever you need to do. as you are a member of our covenant community so that together each one of us can do everything that God has called us to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour your Spirit out upon us, Father, afresh, we pray. Let rivers of living water flow from our belly. Strengthen us. Enable us to walk in the fullness of your Word to align our lives with every part of Your Word, including this teaching on tithing, serving, loving, evangelising, whatever it might be. But as we've talked about today, Lord, so that You can pay the workers in Your house, we bring You what is Yours. You know the condition and the state of our hearts. You know what we're thinking about right now. And together as your people, we pray, would you help us all? Would you help us individually? Would you help us together? Empower us to be what you want us to be, what you've made us to be, so that we can do what you've called us to do, so that we can go where you've called us to go. 
worship you. We honor you. We bless you. Father, some of our brothers and sisters here might be struggling right now. I pray there be no shame and condemnation, even if they might feel conviction, they would still bathe in your love. Beautiful sense of your presence that you love them and affirm them. And you promise to bless them when they give you what is yours so that you can do what you need to do with your tithe. Help every single one of us. We all need your help in some way. We look to you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.